Happy summertime, everybody. This is Greg, and here's what's in the Popping Colors feed for July 2021. The Popping Colors crew has compiled a popping playlist on Spotify for your road tripping, beach lounging, trail hiking, summer activities. We announce our musical picks on this month's episode of Popping Collars. The Canon makes its triumphant return this month. Shayna Watson comes back to draft the movies of Tim Burton. The great Going on 30 mob trilogy concludes this month as Betsy and I look back at the Coen Brothers classic, Miller's Crossing. Last but not least, we're launching a brand new topic on The Sacred Six. Stephen McHale joins me to discuss six albums from the most influential band of all time, The Beatles. We kick things off with the early singles featured on the Past Masters Volume 1 collection. Thanks for listening, and keep those collars popped. My name is Greg. And I'm Betsy. And this is Going On 30, a popping collar side project where we give the hi-hat. <laughs> don't give me the hi-hat. We don't know. That's a negative, Greg. No one wants the hi-hat. Of movies that were nominated or should have been nominated for Best Picture 30 years ago. This month, we're looking at the final gangster movie in our 1990 mob trilogy. Miller's Crossing. It's been a long journey. Hi-hat. From the makers of Blood Simple and Raising Arizona, a world where nothing is what it seems to be. Leo, is he still the boss? The day I back down from a fight, Casper's welcome to the rackets. This town and my place at the table. Casper, can he muscle in? I'm sick of taking a strap from you, Leo. And I'm sick of a hi-hat. Tom, would he sell out a friend? You shouldn't be confronting Jenny Casper. That's what I've been trying to tell you. I can still trade body blows with any man in this town. Except you, Tom. And Verna. Verna? Is she Leo's girl? What did you tell Leo? I told him you were a tramp and he should dump you. I want everybody to be friends. You, me, Leo, the Danes. You know who I am? The Dane. Has he got it figured? You dumping Leo for the guy who put a bullet in your brother? Bernie, will he turn the tables? Don't smart me. I want to watch you squirm. I want to see you sweat a little. All you got to do to show your friend is give me Bernie burn bum. Tommy, you can't do this. You don't bump guys. It's not right, Tom. I can't do it. Two of us have faced worse odds. Never without reason. I thought you said you didn't care about Leo. I said we have a thrill. It's not the same thing. I'm talking about friendship. I'm talking about character. I'm talking about ethics. Albert Finney, Gabriel Byrne, Marsha Gay Harden, John Turturro. I can't die. I'm here in the woods. 
La questa barba anche Dai still alive Expect me to believe you I would like to hear it. Is it okay? I had to rewrite it, by the way. (laughs) I like the IMDb one's pretty good. Here, you read yours and then I'll read that. Okay. This is my Greg Knight original. I'm excited. Caught between two competing forces, an associate for the Irish mob has to navigate treacherous obstacles in order to survive. Okay. That's my my Greg Knight original. That is is pretty close to the IMDb. They did add Prohibition era. Oh yeah, it's about Which 19 we should say about 1929. Yes. This yes. So that's that was good. Yes, warring mobs. Uh Betsy, what is your history with Miller Trust? I was friends with and also at times in college dated pop culture movie snobs oh. a little bit, right? You oh. know, I'd said that this was about a boy and there was a boy that I dated who was very into like cool movies and things like this. And this, I remember somehow he might've been the only, the only other time I've watched this movie was college. (laughs) And I think that it was because he wanted to watch it and I wanted to love it because he loved it because that's what I thought relationships were. (laughs) That you (laughs) folded yourself into a paperclip in order to be with people. So, so I was like, I'm going to watch this movie and I'm going to love the crap out of it. Right. That was my my idea. Right. Uh Cause I had loved raising Arizona. It was a big, it was a movie of like high school for me. Like, Uh you know, my, my sister and I would quote lines of that to each other. So I really thought like, Oh yeah, same people. This is going to be awesome. Yeah. And I did not love it in the same way. I liked it, but I did not love it in the same way that uh, that my boyfriend loved it. I feel like over this whole series, everyone's getting, I've hung out with radio, television, and film people at Northwestern. Like, this is what I'm talking about. Like, trying to be on par with their their knowledge, right? Because I like knowing things. That's, that's uh, one of my... Foibles. Like Where you that. make so you were making like that frowny face, but then saying like, "No, it's Ooh. it's good. It's good." Yeah, I really I love like the it. way they use the hat in the woods. <laughs> you know that to me symbolizes blah blah blah. Yeah, mm, it's yeah, good. I can play along with it's that. Good. Yeah. What's your history with this movie? Uh, okay, so I didn't watch the movie when it came out. Kind of like you, I was told by people maybe in college, like, oh my gosh, Miller's Crossing is so good. So good. And I remember watching it the first time and thinking, I mean, I guess, sure. Like a lot of Cohen's offerings, the more I watch it, the more I like it. However, uh, what I do associate this movie with is the trailer was in front of some movie that I watched constantly. Now, I don't know if it was Cocktail or if it was Days of Thunder. I don't see this playing before. And here he is again, a Tom Cruise movie. I do not 
see Miller's Crossing. I don't so know. You're, you're associating the woods and the hat and the music <laughs> with don't. some movie you watched a bunch. I don't know if it was before Rain Man. So I know the trailer for Miller's Crossing like the back of my hand. Because you didn't fast forward through trailers because you're lazy. No, you can't of find course not. Oh my gosh. I didn't fast forward through the Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck like catalog ad in front of Batman. Like oh I never fast forward through stuff. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's like part of the movie. General thoughts about the movie. What are your hot takes, <laughs> Betsy, on Miller? Hot takes. Okay. So I do very much love the Coen brothers work. Yeah. And I think of their movies, this is a classic, Mm -hmm. but it is also not one of their movies that I've watched and I've like immediately loved. Right. It is one that I have not probably watched it enough to love it. If you're Mm -hmm. telling me it's going to grow on me like moss on a tree in the woods with the hat. But I feel like it would take some time for me to love it. I struggled with this one a little bit because what they do is, and they do it in all their films, is that there's a whole nother language that you're stepping into in the film. There's a whole nother group of lingo you know, that you're, you're going to jump into and they're not going to explain it to you. And maybe you need closed captioning on and maybe you need to Google what these things mean. How'd you get the fat lip? Oh, war went. Except a real moron. It's very smooth. What are you doing at the club? Talking things over with Leo? I don't think so, Ed, Eddie. You must spraying something. I get you, smart guy. I know what you are. Straight as a corkscrew. You join up Johnny Casper. You bump Bernie Burnbaum. Up is down. Black is white. Well, I think you're half smart. I think you were straight with your frail. I think you were queer with Johnny Casper, and I think you'd sooner join a ladies' league than gun a guy down. Then I hear from these two geniuses, they never even saw this rub-out take place. Boss just said to have him do it. He didn't say nothing. Shut up! Mm. Well, maybe you still got too many teeth. Well, we'll go out to Miller's Crossing. And we'll see who's smart. Uh, but also, you know, someone comes in the room and it's like, what's the rumpus? Right. Like, I remember friends <laughs> saying that to one another because this is also Caddyshack for nerds. That's my other take is that people love quoting Coen Brothers films. This is one of those, whether it's hi hat or rumpus or whatever it is that you want to do. Uh-huh. There's an inside lingo of this group of people. And then when you use that lingo, it means you're inside and you know knowledge and you're, you're smart, right? I mean, but so. it is gangster language. I oh, guess sure. it's just more of yes. it. Like, I mean, but it's still like, hey, buddy, eat lead, you know? <laughs> like, hey, see here now. What do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's enjoyable, but it definitely is its own. It is its own Cohen genre. Yeah, I agree with you about the Cohen-ness of it all. Okay, so here's the thing. I'm in the bag for the Coens. And if we had started doing, you know, our picks with the movies of 1987 or whatever, like Raising Arizona would have been one of the movies that we talked about. Blood Simple would probably be one of the movies that we talked about. 
Barton Fink is going to be one of the movies that we talk yes. about next year because I'm going to pick it. I mean, like I'm, I'm in the bag for these guys. I think that, um, and I think especially around this time period, this early nineties time period, mm-hmm. I, I think that you could say that about the Coens. I think you could say it about Spike Lee and mm-hmm. the stuff that Spike is putting out. Uh, around this time, like we're going to talk about Malcolm X because Spike is in, you know, this kind of phase of his life. And it makes me think that the Coens, Spike, Jim Jarmusch, like all of these guys are in the prime of their creative kind of pulse. Right. Um, And it doesn't mean that they're not going to create amazing things down the road. But at this time, it's like the stuff that they're producing is just good, 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 good. You know, like I think that Tim Burton falls in this too. And it's kind of like this group of directors that are, that come after the Spielberg, Scorsese, Coppola's of the world, but before the Tarantino, Soderbergh, Paul Thomas Anderson's. They're kind of like in the, you know, they're in this in-between space. And this is where it feels like they're young and vital and they're really producing like really good stuff, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also say that it's a gangster movie, but I, as I was watching, I was like, oh, this is like a heist movie. So like by the time it was ending, I wrote, oh, this this feels like it has more in common with Ocean's Eleven than it does like Touch of Evil or like a James Cagney movie or something. Like, you know, it, it feels like it has more in common with a heist movie than it does a gangster movie violent it is violent but but also kind it's of also, comic yeah, you know it's, it's it's like comedy violence a little bit yeah because i mean the falling down the stairs there's plenty of falling down the stairs but then there's also i mean it's just like people just getting hit an extraordinary amount of times <laughs> right <laughs> yeah but yeah there's a comedy to the violence is mm-hmm. interesting mm-hmm. Yeah. what is the best scene in the movie i'm gonna go with the choreography slight comedy and Tommy gun action of the assault on Albert Finney in the house. So just, you know, we shoot that guy. There's a fire. He's upstairs and he's listening to Danny boy Uh (laughs) full blast Uh on his phonograph. I didn't know they went that loud and he's so spry. Plus his amazing stunt double who goes out the window (laughs) in a way. I'm like, look at Albert Finney go. Look at you. I'm so proud of you. And then just standing in the street, firing a gun at a car until it runs into a tree. Like a surgeon, man, just like firing into yes. the window of the car. just trying Until it runs into it. a beautiful live oak. I mean, this is why he's the boss, but he's slipping, right? So we're right. slipping and people are coming for you, you know? Yeah, he can't That's see, the- he can't see all of the angles, but he can still survive. Yeah, yeah totally. Yes. My favorite is is actually going to spoil my best performance for the movie, but it's the very opening monologue, the whole speech about, it's about ethics. You know I'm a sporting man. I like to lay the occasional bet, <laughs> but I ain't that sporting. When I fix a fight, I figure I got the right to expect that fight to go off at 3-1. Before I know it, the odds is even up. Or worse, I'm betting on the short money. Bernie ain't satisfied with the honest dollar he can make off the Vic. He ain't satisfied with the business I do on his book. He is selling tips on how I bet. And that means part of the payoff that should be riding on my hip is riding on someone else's. So, 
back we go to these questions. Friendship, character, ethics. So it's clear what I'm saying. As mud. It's getting so a businessman can't expect no return from a fixed fight. Now, if you can't trust a fix, what can you trust? For a good return, you gotta go betting on chance. And then, you're back with anarchy. Right back in the jungle. That's why ethics is important. What separates us from the uh, animals, the uh, beasts of burden, beasts of prey, ethics. That's, that is, when I talk Caddyshack, that's what I'm talking about. It's that There are boys out there, and I'm sure there are some women too. You just do that entire scene. It's just really funny when you step back from it because it's shot very seriously. Like there's yeah. nothing that's played for comedy in this no. movie. But what John Polito's character is arguing in that scene is that there should be ethics involved in fixing boxing matches, <laughs> right? Like, like I should know that I'm going to get a return on my bet because the fight is fixed. And if it works against me, then that's not ethical. It's <laughs> right? not ethical to me. I just, I love that. I think it's so smart. My runner-up best scene is Tommy's dream about his hat, because I know you would love that. Yes. Just the hat floating the hat. down the lane. As a matter of fact, you know what? It inspired me to make a top five. Betsy, top five iconic hats in movie history. Oh, Lord. All right. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Are there honorable mention hats? Yes. Oh, how, yes. how many of them? Uh, quite a few. Honorable mention every Western ever made. Every, every Western, every Western ever, made. ever made iconic hat. Think man with no name. Think John Wayne iconic hats. Number five. Hepburn's My Fair Lady hat. Now, okay. how she's able to wear it, I have no idea. This thing is ginormous. It's a big hat. It's a huge hat. Yes. Okay. Number four. The sorting hat in Hogwarts. I mean, not only is it a hat, but it's a hat that'll talk to you. It has a face. It's pretty creepy, the sorting hat. <laughs> you know what it looks like? It looks like a fraggle. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's like something nice. something from Henson, right? Doesn't it yes, look like it Henson-esque? It does. It does. Okay, what else? Uh, so, okay, what do we have? Number three? Number three. Iconic hats in movie history. Yeah. Charlie Chaplin's bowler. Hat. I mean, I don't know why that's not number one. I'm. I mean, how, you can't think of Charlie Chaplin without the bowler, right? No. Like it's impossible. Kane. Number two, Willy Wonka's top hat. It's good. It's a good. Yeah, it's yeah, good. yeah. I, I mean, even when he has the top hat off at the end of the movie, I keep thinking like, there's something wrong here. You need to put the hat back on. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Good day, right. sir. <laughs> good day, sir. Put the hat back on. Okay. So now, number one. Number one, iconic most iconic hat. hat in movie history. Is. Indiana Jones's fedora. Oh, I guess that's true. So yeah. what do you think the hat in the woods is about? You know, Tommy's whole thing is about being in control. And the idea of having a dream where your hat flies off. And it's like, the only way I'm going to get it is if I chase after it. And I'm going to keep reaching for it. And that's like a total loss of control. I was walking in the woods. I don't know why. Wind came up and blew me out of. 
chased it, right? You ran and ran. Finally caught up to it. You picked it up. But it wasn't a hat anymore. It had changed into something else. Something wonderful. Nah, it stayed a hat. I know I didn't chase it. Nothing more foolish than a man chasing his hat. Yeah, we've all it's almost that. like it's almost like Tommy Tommy would rather will the hat to come back into his hand than to have to chase after it. Uh, best performance in the movie. Uh, sadly, I think we might be picking the same person. I think so because we're both huge homicide life on the street fans. John Polito. Really. How many times have we talked about homicide? We talked about Andre Brower last year. Yeah. I mean, every time we talk about The Wire, we talk about homicide. I'm sure that Yafet Kodo is going to come up in one of these oh. movies and we're going to... R.I.P. R.I.P. Yafet Kodo. Oh. Uh, I'm sure Yafet Kodo is going to come up and we're going to talk about homicide again. Just, yeah. you know, it is a crime against humanity that homicide is not streaming on some service. And I don't know oh. why that is. Is it not on Peacock? It wasn't... No. In- no, there's some rights issue with homicide. It's crazy. I know, but do yourself a favor, go on Amazon, drop the $300 for a box set of Homicide Life on the Street. <laughs> then yeah. Just watch John Polito and Yafet Koto and Andre Brower yeah. and Kyle Secor. Yeah. And <laughs> all these great actors. So I mean, he is in this film, he's, he's annoying, you know, but annoyingly good. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh man, this guy again, you know. And he puts his his little robust son in a sailor suit. <laughs> yeah, I think when he gives the ethics speeches and all that, he believes all of that. He thinks mm-hmm. that all of that is how how you're going to run a better a better <laughs> organized crime business. Right. But yeah, Johnny Casper just <laughs> so. Good. He's just a great character. Casper is. He's he's campy uh, in this movie, but he's also sinister. Mm-hmm. So when you marry this idea of camp and sinister at the same time, it creates like it creates this character that you don't know whether you're supposed to laugh at him or be afraid of him. Yes. And that's and I mean the performance is just tremendous. Like yeah. I, John Polito's great. Chaplin is great. I've got some stats about the movie. Ooh, stats. All right, let's do it. Uh, Miller's Crossing opened on September 22nd, 1990. And if that date sounds familiar, it's because it's three days after Goodfellas. Why is it three days? I don't know. Open the middle of a week? Yeah, I think it was like a Wednesday and like Goodfellas is September 19th and Miller's Crossing is September 22nd. So, no weird. That's weird. Uh, domestic gross of five million dollars. Okay, <laughs> we got to talk about this. This movie is what you would call a bomb. This is a fail on m- many, many levels. Now, maybe it's because it does come out three days after Goodfellas that it gets lost in the shuffle. Basically, nobody sees this movie in the theaters. So the gross on Raising Arizona. Was here. Is twenty two million. So I wonder whether people looked at this like, oh, Coen Bros are coming out with another movie. They'd really done Blood Simple. They'd really done, but then Raising Arizona, big hit. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, huh, where'd all the people go that were in that movie? <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? I mean, twenty two million isn't good either. No. Like, I it's just I think that it's um 
you know, here's the thing about the Coens is that they never, they only make their movies. Like they don't make other people's movies. Like the Coens aren't going to make, I don't know what Thor five. Like (laughs) they're not like, that's not what they do. They make their movies. And I think that it takes a while for people to catch on. Uh, okay, so a domestic gross of $5 million, making it the number 135th grossing movie of 1990. Eesh. It is the 6,342nd top grossing movie of all time. Wow. And this isn't nearly as much fun as I was hoping. When you're talking about 6,000, like you're down in like toxic Avenger territory. Like you're, you're that in, was really that's a popular movie. Exactly. Like you're in this world of like B movie. You know, maybe short. some of the best of the worst movies of all time. So are you telling me I should just go ahead and open up IMDb right now so that I can see what the hell movies this is? I have some descriptions, but okay. you may want to pull up IMDb okay, so I'm that ready. you know what okay. it is. Okay. So it is, it's the number 6,342nd top grossing movie of all time between, here it comes, Flirt, Mary Kill, College, a movie from 2008. The description is three high school seniors visit a college campus as prospective freshmen. I think we all can see this movie in our minds based on that description. And the poster of the movie is someone throwing up into a toilet. There we go. College. Best weekend ever from the guys who brought you waiting. Awesome. Okay. Great. Great. So you get college, you get Miller's Crossing, and then your third feature is True Identity, movie from 1991. Description, in order to escape from the mob, a black man must disguise himself as a white man. True Identity. It actually has a nice cast. Pretty With ensemble a problematic cast. premise. Problematic premise from 1991. I'm glad that the mob has even made its way into our flirt, Mary kill game. We can't get away from the mob in the early 90s. It does have a really good cast. He looks very much like when Eddie Murphy did that skit about dressing up white yes. on Saturday Night Live. That's what he looks like without glasses. So Flirt, Mary Kill, your movies are True Identity, Miller's Crossing, and College. College is getting killed. Let's kill college. I am with you. <laughs> and I'm going to I'm gonna flirt with True Identity and, and Mary Miller's Crossing. We are simpatico. We are Excellent. exactly the same. Flirt with True Identity, Mary Miller's Crossing, mainly because True Identity... Let's say complicated premise, but a decent cast. I would be curious how yeah. the cast kind of pulls it off. Really? This guy like James Earl Jones, right? Frank Langella, JT Walsh, Amory Johnson, who you would recognize from from things. Uh, Michael McKean, right? James Earl Jones is in it as himself. Yeah. Melvin Van Peoples is in it as a taxi driver. Yeah, it stars Lenny Henry, and he's been in a number of things, good things. Doctor Who, all kinds of stuff. You know, maybe give it a try. True identity. Who knows? Cool. Okay. Can't tell you. Can't tell you if it's good or bad. Okay. Uh, what I can tell you is that Miller's Crossing is good according to Rotten Tomatoes. A ninety-two percent on Rotten good. Tomatoes. Roger Ebert also says it is good. Roger keeps it simple. He's been keeping it simple a lot this year. He says there is a lot here to admire. Three out of four stars. Okay. Not, it's not as gushy as he normally is. But no, no. Janet Maslin, film and literary critic at the New York Times. 
In an article, she does not have a review of this film, but she does have an article about mob movies from the nineteen ninety from the year nineteen ninety and why there are so many of them. A conversation that we're about to have right here on the show. In that article, the only reference that she makes to Miller's Crossing is that it is heavily mannered. Is her description? Well, I, I could see that. I mean, it's Miller's very Crossing. feels a little bit like. All right, I get it. Like, yeah. got it. It's yeah. not as freewheeling as Goodfellas. Yeah. No, no. I mean, but do I, again, do I need the anxiety of somebody being shot in the leg <laughs> the next minute? No, not really. I've already established that on the last episode. I don't need that. What would she call again? Heavily mannered. Heavily mannered. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How did it do at the Oscars? It had no wins and no nominations i think that may be the first time for our show i know that we've really a movie that has nothing yeah well wait for it we've got some coming up okay take them in the woods and whack them what that's right boss wants you to do it make sure you're with the good guys now you know how to do this right you gotta remember to put one in his brain your first shot puts him down then you put one in his brain then he's dead then we go home Tommy, you can't do this. You don't bump guys. You're not like those animals back there. It's not right, Tom. They can't make us do this. It's the wrong situation. They can't make us different people than we are. We're not muscle, Tom. I, I, I never killed anybody. I used a little information for a chisel, that's all. It's my nature, Tom. I, 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 can't, I can't help it. Somebody hits me an angle, I play it. I don't, I don't deserve to die for that. Do you think I do? I'm just a glifter, huh, Tom? I'm, I'm, I'm a nobody. But I'll tell you what, I never crossed a friend, huh, Tom? I never killed anybody, never crossed a friend. No, you are bet. We're not like those animals. This is not us. This is, this is, this is a half dream. It's a dream, Tommy. I'm praying to you. I can't die. I can't die. What is the legacy of this movie, Betsy? We have made it to our Return of the King of 1990 mob movies and so now we need to look back at where we have come the godfather part three goodfellas and now miller's crossing let's talk about this idea of the gangster slash mob movie and why we're getting so many of them in the year 1990 part of that janet maslin article that i talked about before she has this quote we are all in a film season fraught with tommy guns speculating about why. Why do we see them as similar? Why, for that matter, are we so eager to see them at all? Betsy, do you have an answer to Miss Maslin's query? Why are we eager to see these movies about bad people doing bad things? I'm going to go out there on a limb. I don't know whether it's going to hold me, but I'm going to go out there. I'm wondering whether it is this feeling, whether we're involved in them or not, that there are invisible levers in the world that are being pulled by people that we don't know, but they're being pulled for some people and not for other people. The world is organized Mm -hmm. and it is organized at different times for, for groups of people for, you know, and we can even talk about this with our 2020 lens on and talking about systemic racism or whatever you want to talk about that, that we, we get this idea of looking out for our own, Mm-hmm. Right. And that 
there's something about these movies and the, the insular quality of their communities that we like the looky looness of that. Mm-hmm. And, and we're involved in things that are organized. It might not be organized crime, right. might not have crime at the end of it, but we all like to belong inside communities. And maybe it's also this feeling of some things just work out for other people and yeah. they'll work out for me. Uh, and there's a disenfranchisement where there's being yearning to be enfranchised and wondering who could I, what group could I be in? I know that that's a, that's a stab. I think that you're, I mean, listen, I wrote down something that's almost identical to what you just said. No way. Really? Yeah. I, I voyeurism a hundred percent. One is that you just want to peek into a world that seems, you know, taboo, but a little like, seductive in a way and so you just you, you want to peek behind the curtain of like oh these people seem to have nice clothes and nice cars and i wonder how they got them working in waste management you know right. that kind of right. thing right um so it's voyeurism is kind of the what gets you through the door but yeah i wrote down suspicion that this is how society actually works that there's like yeah that there's this this uh this unseen hand that tips the scales towards one uh, group of people and away from another group of people and that there's something illegal about their activities. Um, yeah, and you know, and you get a global sense of that in the Godfather, mm-hmm. you get a national sense of that, or at least a domestic, a city metropolitan sense of that, you know, and, and, and well, but even Goodfellas is Goodfellas is more domestic. Mm-hmm. You know? They're flying around the United States. And then it becomes almost personal with mm-hmm. Miller's Crossing. It is the elements that you could take the Miller's Crossing conflict of being trapped between interests about watching a friend go just blindly making choices that you think are terrible, but nobody's listening to you. Right. And you could try to orchestrate and go behind the scenes to try to make things work. I think you could you could take the metaphor of what Tom is dealing with in Miller's Crossing and apply it to your own life mm-hmm. in a way that's, you know, maybe I could do that with the Henry Hill, but the world is just so much more fantastical. Right. And then things feel very, very different in The Godfather. And then when we're talking about legacy, I mean, you know, it's like this is these movies are 30 years old mm-hmm. and how a lot of the way that the prior administration was described was being gangster politics, right? It was like mob style politics Mm -hmm. in that even supporters of the previous administration would often tell you that the ends justified the means, right? That they may not agree morally with what was either being said or done but that it was uh, far better than what the alternative would be from the other side. And if I need to subjugate my moral concerns in order for my side to be raised up, I'm willing to do that. Mm -hmm. Right. Which Mm -hmm. is like a, it's a mob mentality. It's like a turning the blind eye so that tough men can get the job done. Right. Yeah. And it's, I think we, if we think about that in terms of like, Tammany Hall politics or, you know, whatever, even the town that Miller's Crossing is set in, you know, the mayor and the police chief keep showing up and they're in bed with whoever is going to be the strongest person in the situation. 
And this is, you know, we're talking about less than a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. That that's how things are working. And are they politics? Is it still working that way? That's a little less, you know, throwing a guy out a window or whatever. Right. You know, that sort of thing. But it is, you know, I mean, like maybe you're not putting a hit on somebody, but you are threatening people's careers, people's mm-hmm. reputations. Can I read you a list of movies from 1990 that are either about sort of mob life or organized crime sure. that were released in this year? So we've talked about three of them. The Godfather Part 3, nominated by the Academy. Goodfellas, nominated by the Academy. Miller's Crossing, which you and I picked, and we'll talk about why uh, at the end of the show. King of New York came out in 1990, mm. which we could very well talk about. It was a great movie. Christopher Walken. Yeah. Um, and I think Tarantino says, like, more than Goodfellas, it's, you know, the movie that inspired him to make gangster movies. Mm-hmm. State of Grace came out in 1990. Do you know that one? I do know that one. Sean Penn. Yeah. 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 Um, Kind of an undercover cop story with the mob. Yeah. Right. A British movie called The Craze came out in 1990. It's about the British, about uh, sort of organized crime in Britain uh, around this family called the Cray family. I think based on a true story on that one. How do you spell that? Craze. K-R-A-Y-S. The Craze. And then to a lesser extent, you know, My Blue Heaven, which we've talked about on the show, which is basically the continuing story. Almost nominated. Right. The continuing story of Henry Hill and uh, Nora Ephron's take on his uh, life in uh, witness protection. Mm -hmm. So you've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven movies in 1990 that are about organized crime or tangentially related to organized crime. Yeah. We were into it. That is wild, man. That's like doctor movies on, like doctor shows on television. Like, how many can you have? It does make me wonder if I, you know, it would take me down to Google wormhole that around the time of the Sopranos was was on TV, whether there was another, which is a a decade after this, right? Mm -hmm. We're talking about. Yeah, Yeah, Sopranos was around the turn of the millennium. Yeah. So, yeah. So it makes me wonder whether there was another kind of cycle really quickly in reference to the legacy of this and the lasting effect that I think that it's had on politics uh, in this country 30 years down the road. It made me realize that sometimes morality is as flexible as whose side you're on. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's also, I think if we look at, I mean, what about the the legacy of Miller's crossing specifically? Right. And Tommy's yeah. able to see that, the whole thing is rigged. So it doesn't matter which side of the line he stands on. Mm-hmm. He's going to be walking out of a, you know, an Italian bar talking to the cops that are busting it up. He's going to be walking out of an Irish bar talking to the cops that are busting it up. And it's all the same thing. Right. <laughs> it's <Yeah. laughs> like it's it's a very it's cynical also, point of view. It's also watching the Coen brothers build their stable of actors. Mm-hmm. Who are the people that they love to work with? Even in very small roles, there are folks that pop up again and again and again, you know, that as we've seen, you know, with, whether we're talking about De Niro and Pesci and working with Scorsese or the, you know, Chaturro and, and others who are in the you know, Buscemi who are going to work with Coen brothers over and over again. And yeah. it almost becomes like we've witnessed a couple of repertory theaters who 
like to work together often. And here's mm-hmm. here's our latest production. And we're going to see it with Spike. I mean, you know, yes. like we're going to talk about Malcolm X and Denzel's going to show up in Malcolm X and Delroy Lindo is going to show up Lindo. in Malcolm X. And yeah. I mean, you know, he has his group of guys too, you know? It's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, who is this movie for Betsy? Uh, besides radio, your, uh, besides radio, your film television and film makers. <laughs> yeah. I think it's for people who like to know things, people who like to be in and, and they can who, look at you when you don't know what they mean when they roll into a room and say, what's the rumpus that is code <laughs> language for you. Don't get it. See you later. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, I think I think you're totally right. I think this movie is for people who want to sound smart when they, you know, say like, "What's your favorite movie?" and they say like Miller's Crossing. It's like it's like a way to sound like you're an amazing film buff. Yes, I would say that this movie is for Coen Brother completionists. So yes. if you really if you want to complete the Coen Brothers filmography, this sounds cliche, but. This felt this feels like a postmodern take on a film noir movie, which is basically like let's deconstruct what what makes a film noir a film noir, and tell that story. Uh, what, what is your rating for this movie out of five? My rating for this movie is I'm going to give this movie a four. Mm-hmm. See, I thought you were when you were talking about like eh, I don't really get it. Like I was fully expecting a two point five to come. No, through. no, no. I mean, I really see I see the value in the movie making quality of it. It's yeah, that's good. What yeah. about you? Uh, four and a half out of five Ooh. for me. Yeah. There you go. Uh, so not a full five, but you know, just a little bit under. Gabriel Byrne is a great kind of Humphrey Bogart stand-in. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy who just kind of smokes and stares and you're trying to figure out like what's going on in his, in his brain. Yeah. Uh, The movie's structured in a way that makes you feel like you're in control as the person watching the movie only to reveal that the characters and especially Tom were three steps ahead of you the whole time. (laughs) So then by the time like the reveal comes at the end, you're like, wait, what did I know while you were watching this? Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and I think that that's really clever. I think it's a, I think it's a neat way of telling the story. Why did we nominate this movie? So this was a joint pick that we had for 1990. So why would we nominate this $5 million, no Oscar nominated nom- nominations, weirdo movie? Much because of why I felt like I should watch the movie in college. <laughs> like that this is, this is, proverbially known among people who I trust as being a seminal work Mm -hmm. and being an important film. I wouldn't want us to appear naive and be judged by those judgy people if we don't include it on our list. I mean, a hundred percent. Like, look, here's my, here's what I would tell anybody who asks us this question. Look at a list of movies from 1990 just Google movies from 1990 and look at the entire list. And if Miller's Crossing doesn't jump out at you as like, oh, we should talk about that movie. Yeah. Then I just don't know. I don't know that we're the right show for you because like there are a lot of good movies. That doesn't mean that they're like 1990 has a lot of bad movies. It's just that they're fine. It has a lot of fine movies, you know, like, yeah, that's good. But this to be one that has is still conversable 
Exactly. 30 years later. Yeah. When you're talking about legacy, this one definitely yeah. uh, hits it. Yeah. Um, all right. That is it. That's it. Well, so what's up next? So folks can watch along. Now for something completely different. Completely different. We're leaving the mob genre behind. We are going into the world of horror. Misery, Misery. is our next yes. film yes. of 1990. Ooh, Betsy, my my feet are already hurt. I can I have a phantom pain coming from my ankle right now. Listen, I can feel it. Listeners of this podcast will know that I have had knee surgery during the course of this year. <laughs> And I think my family has come real close to some of these moments in this movie. Um, Betsy, thank you for taking just a, a leisurely fun stroll through the woods with me. No, you know, no sinister anything happening. We're just going for a walk. We're just, We're just walking. going for a walk. We're just walking through the woods. It's a don't little breezy, about, though. It's don't a worry about breezy. the gun that I have in my hand. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> fine. I love the woods. Look at that bird. Anytime. All right. We will see you next time. Bye-bye.